0: What's up everyone, welcome to episode 29 of the noise podcast brought to you by noise.co.uk I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mrs Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are we?
1: I'm really well actually,
0: surprisingly fresh
1: for a Sunday.
0: Yeah, we we, <laughs> we say this a lot, don't we like, that we always look forward to recording them on a Sunday where we haven't been out the night before, um, people are going to think there's a literal problem with us. <laughs> If we keep starting the podcast every now and again saying this, but seriously, it does feel better to do it on a Sunday where we haven't been at the night before, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: it really, really does. I'm it, really happy to be here, man. It literally makes a difference to how fresh I feel like in the morning and I'm like really good to go and I'm listening to the albums one more time just to make sure I'm, and I can think coherently as well and I'm not, I'm not thinking about the borderline stringes of death.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I, I'm a much more uh, agreeable person as well. Like, I just find myself saying nicer things um, on days where I I don't have, like, crippling hangovers.
0: I feel like there's one specific segment on this podcast today where it doesn't really matter whether you're hungover or not, there's going to be nasty things said.
1: I could have won the lottery five (laughs) minutes ago and it wouldn't affect the judge or something
0: about today. (laughs) If this is the first time you've heard us, this is not a podcast based around whether or not it's good to be hungover and do a show. (laughs) Uh, This is a rock and metal podcast brought to you by noise.co.uk. We're available on YouTube, Spotify, Google Play, basically anywhere you could find a podcast. On the last show that we did, we had live reviews on Sleep Token and Slipknot. Those were two wonderful times. And we did album reviews on Sepultura, Loathe and Psylosis. So you can go back and check that out. That was episode 28. There was also my interview with Adam D'Amico, a guitarist from Lorna Shaw. Their new record, Immortal, is out now. And also Very Sick. At the moment, on noise.co.uk, you can catch my live review from when I saw the artist' Murder, Fit for an Autopsy, Carnifex, Rivers of Nile, and I Am. It was rowdy as fuck there. Uh, live review on Vakovy as well. We got an interview with the Mongolian Throat singing band The Who, and album reviews on The Guru Guru, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly as well. Um, but on this week's show, another absolutely stacked one. Last show, we did three album reviews, and I didn't think it would be. I thought it would be a while till we do three album reviews again, but then I realised the records that were coming out as we do this episode. So today we've got album reviews from Green Day, Suicide Silence and Polaris. We're going to give you some news and Sam's greatest metal album of all time list is going to continue as well. I wanted to start the show on the new Green Day album simply because... Last week, uh, doing three album reviews and the ropes seemed to take a while, and I wanted to try and break it up so it didn't seem quite boring for the listener. So, we're going to start on the new Green Day album. It is out now. It came out on the 7th of February. It's called The Father of All Motherfuckers. Uh, it's the band's 13th studio album. Um, good Lord. Uh, before we get into this, Sam, I sent you a picture of a billboard that the band had paid for advertisement yesterday. Yes. I'm going to read it out on okay. the... <laughs> I'm going to read out what it says on the podcast, because it is quite interesting. So this is a billboard that the the band had paid for advertising. It's basically uh, quite a standard listing. It says, No features, no Swedish songwriters, no track beats, 100% pure uncut rock, Green Day, Father of All. Obviously, the Left Out the Motherfuckers part is out now. Now, the, the No Swedish Songwriters... Jab, I do believe that they're aiming that at a guy called Max Martin, who is a Swedish songwriter, and he's worked on, like, uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time with Britney Spears. Uh, oh. He's worked with NSYNC. But basically, so even their jokes are outdated? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Basically, like, if you are an up-and-coming pop artist or an already successful pop artist, you'll go, Max, bro, chuck me a banger. And Max will be a brow and chuck you and and chuck <laughs> you and chuck you an absolute Reaching banger into his basket of bangers and throw one in your direction. But mate, to be fair, I can't remember the full list of artists that he's worked with. But mate, he's he has been behind some absolute classic pop songs, so it's quite clear that he's a very very good songwriter. Whether whether you like pop music or not, it doesn't matter. Like he's wrote songs that are seminal, like Hit Me Bad One More Time is still playing in seventy years. You know what I mean? So obviously he's quite talented. And I think I think what Green Day have done there on this Billboard is like take a knock at like, yeah, this isn't pop music, we're rock. Um, which, when you listen to the album, makes less sense. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so let, let's let start this review. Um, it's important that I mention, and to, to be fair, unless this is the first time someone's listened to this, they will already be very aware that pre-2012 Green Day are my favourite band of all time. And they're literally pivotal to me sitting here talking at this microphone at the moment, our Green Day. I would not be doing this. If it wasn't for them, from Dookie all the way through to American Idiot and then 21st Century Breakdown, which came out in 2008. It wasn't anywhere near American Idiot, but there were still th- enough songs on there for me to like the album. So here we are. Uh, they did Uno, Dos and Trey, that triple album in 2012, which was really bad. And um, Dos, the middle one, wasn't that bad, but Uno and Try were really rough. Uh, and then they followed that up with Revolution Radio. Mate, do you remember that album?
1: I don't remember any specific songs, just a member of feeling of utter tedium.
0: Sh- oh, mate, that album was really bad. It and was got, bad. And I've got to say that I prefer The Father of All ever so slightly to Revolution Radio. Uh, simply because uh, The Father of All, at least it gives you something to discuss. Revolution Radio is literally the most boring, bland insepid rock album that that I have ever heard in my life. It was absolutely abysmal, and I I remember that we were we, it was when we were back doing sound check and we were just sitting there. Like, but we even say about this: this is so unbelievably boring. So at least the father of all gives us some discussion points, right?
1: Yeah, there there are some things to discuss regarding this album. I um I I, I agree. Yeah, but Sam, uh, this is this is pretty bad, isn't it? Um yeah it's it's not dreadful no no it's not like horrendous it's not it's not not dreadful but for green day it should be considered dreadful uh, in the sense that it's it's so utterly without note like from start to finish (laughs) to the point where i got to the end of the album and Honestly, I had to replay the album just to recall the songs I'd heard. Yeah. It was, it. it's so, not dull, there's nothing wrong with it, but for a band like Green Day, um, the so-called grandfathers, or, or at least um, older cousins of punk rock, so to speak, over the last 10 or 15 years, to write songs that literally have no impact on the listener at any point is is an incredible disappointment and for them to put advertising out like it's uncut rock like it's this like gold mine of pop punk energy that's just bustling at the core and is a massive middle finger up to the the bland tasteless overproduced pop music of the rest of the world is fucking hilarious to be honest because this is just exactly the same with a guitar Um, But without any semblance of a chorus, the only the only real change they appear to have made between Revolution Radio and this is, oh maybe if we put an effect on Billy Joe's voice, it'll change. It'll change the tonality of the album and make us seem, you know, different or or make us stand out in a different way. I don't know who listened to Revolution Radio and thought, you know what? The problem is Billy Joe's voice rather than being like, you know what? The problem is stop recycling bad riffs and simple three chord songs. And just because it's three minutes and 44 seconds long of a song, that doesn't mean that's the amount of time you need to spend writing it. Like, this is just, this is so bland. This is mayonnaise. This is just, there's nothing, there's no, nothing remotely to it. And the fact is, and I want to have a moment here. I sent you the song um, related to this album, uh, Graffiti, the final song on this album, which usually is supposed to be reserved, a spot usually reserved for the magnum opus of an album right the really thing that holds it and ties it all together but instead they picked this song instead and if you the, the chord sequence like and, and i know that all music is derivative and i, and I know that some, i'm gonna get sort of like i might get responses here will say well everything's ripped off everything else yes i i, I get that but not this blatantly <laughs> um graffiti is is it's the clash um i thought the law and the law won just just repeated uh, it's the same chords it's almost the same vocal melody it's the same drum pattern it's the same drum style and it feels like green day are trying to take advantage of the fact that their fans probably haven't heard a lot of clash music and have just accepted that green day were like the first pop punk band or, or whatever it might be um because this is like it's like offensive to me how much of a off this is <laughs> this is this is like um it's so shame-faced. It's like the equivalent of like Aldi when they do, like, um, cream uh, cheese puffs, orange-flavoured cheese puffs or something. It's like, so what's-its then? And yeah. it's, it's the same shit, like, exactly the same chord sequences. And, it, and it's just horrendously annoying. Um, but really, a band like Green Day, who have written 10 or 15 indelible songs in 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 the great pantheon of 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 good rock music um to 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 decline like this to the point where there's literally nothing of note like I, i i mean that all these songs meld into one three chord nightmare that could like these could be the backing songs to like a top gear episode like 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 or like a fifa um game I've where literally it's not got quite that in
0: my notes i've literally got where... a, in, in my notes like you could like some of the songs here saying like you could have them during a chase scene in the hollywood b movie from 1991
1: yeah where it's not actual rock music but it like impersonates rock music enough to fool the stupid person and and that's what this is this is like a sad impersonation of rock and roll so for them to be like this is pure uncut rock this is the equivalent of crushing up and while I'm selling it as cocaine. That's what this is. This is just completely useless. And I'm, very, and I'm very sad to say it. I'm seeing these live in like <laughs> four months and I hope they play zero songs from this album.
0: I've got to say that that's an interesting point for us. I've still got faith in Green Day being a phenomenal live band because I saw them on the You Know Doesn't Try Cycle and they played, like, three songs from it. And the the rest was, like, the classic Green Day stuff, which was ju- well, my favourite gig of all time, full stop. And then I read reviews from their show that they did at Hyde Park on the Revolution Radio Tour, and it said exactly the same thing. Oh, they played three songs from that shit new album, but then they did they did the Green Day classics. So I'm assuming and slash praying that that's what we it would be here. Like, three, three songs off this... Maybe one off a of Revolution Radio because it's like the the latest album bar this one, and then the rest is going to be Green Day classics. And so I've also got full faith in us having an absolutely uh, amazing time there because as a, as a live band they are absolutely absurdly good. Billy Joe Armstrong is a fantastic frontman. And then obviously you've got the energy of Trey Cool and the lines of Mike Dern. Like I'm 100% confident that we're not going to leave that gig and be like, well, that was a waste of fucking hundred quid, wasn't he? I don't think that's going to be the case at all. When I when I was looking into this album and I was like, oh shit, it's 26 minutes long. Great. I'm like this is gonna they're gonna do something like like a really quick fire blast of like punk attitude like Dookie (laughs) or something I thought great it's only 26 minutes long (laughs) yeah no but I mean before I pressed play and obviously I'd read about the album and it was like 26 minutes I was like oh man like so there's a chance that it's going to be like a real attitude driven nasty sludge punk kind of like like, like Dookie obviously I wasn't expecting the exact same thing because we're talking nearly 30 years ago now um this is this is a twenty six minutes long album, and I fucking wish it was shorter, because it, <laughs> it, it it's, it's But this is a bad album, man. Like, th- there are small occasions where where it the classic th- Green Day three chord pattern works. There's a song called Sugar Youth, and in the chorus, it's got that classic Billy Joe Armstrong hook in terms of vocal melody that he's really good at. Yeah, but then there's songs like Meet Me on the Roof. Or it was a teenage teenager and stab you in the heart that are like, shit. Uh, and stab you in the heart is really is it, shit. Is it junkies
1: on a highway just breaks up and says, where are the drugs for like 35 seconds? <laughs> yeah. It's um, fucking excruciating that bit is.
0: Um, Like, and this is, and again, like, what, uh, I slightly prefer this Revolution radio because it's not a different album in the sense of, they haven't opened up like a new creative envelope and they've found all these great tunes, but it is, the album is different sounding. Like this is much less bland, like salt and pepper rock. This has got like, at least they've got like some kind of like effects and a bit of techno in there and like, it's just just a, a different sound or in general. But, when I, when I was listening to the album and, and I'm I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I'm one of these people that really stands for it's cool for bands to change. You don't want that band to do the, the same album 16 times. You know, there's a reason why At The Gates never made it out of 2,000 cap venues. And by the way, At The Gates are fucking great. A yeah, and that the
1: headline Bloodstock man, like you know they're I mean? a
0: fantastic, phenomenal, legendary death metal band, but there's a reason why they didn't make it out of 2000-cap venues, and that's because they're, they're 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 stuck to death metal. Great kudos to them, but if you want your if you if there's a band that you adore that you want to see move up the echelons of live venue size, I'm sorry, they're going to need to branch out at some point. So you know, I don't want to sound like I'm being hypocritical of myself. By saying, "Oh, Green Day have changed and it sucks," I don't dislike this album because it sounds different. I dislike this album because it's bad, and and that's yeah, it, you know what I mean. This you, isn't can root, big difference.
1: you can root for change. You can root for change, and then say that the change didn't work. I don't have yeah. to now applaud it because the band then changed.
0: Yeah, like this. This is a, I applaud. I, I I don't know. I should say applaud because I don't think the album's good, but at least then at least it's not three 48-year-old men trying to recreate Dookie. I think that would be worse than this. Do
1: it's hard to say. It's <laughs> hard. It's, it's just hard to say because this is terrible. Yeah, it's pretty bad. You know what I mean? Like, it's fit against what they would achieve if they tried to do a cover album of their own, of their own back. It's just this is really bad. Um... They've they've aged, haven't they? They've declined. They're not they have declined they are not they are not the band they used to be, and 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 all the sort of cliches apply. It's just it's just it's just not very good. There's nothing to say about it. It's what it is. It's near fifty year old men playing punk rock. It sounds tired. Yeah, this sounds uh, specifically tired. And the, the I've just
0: been thinking about looking at the t- the date at the moment. To think that twenty first century breakdown was twelve years ago.
1: Yeah, how angry is Billy Joe nowadays? You
0: see, I thought, like, <laughs> yeah. do you remember, like, when Trump got inaugurated? And yeah. everyone was like, oh, man, like, at least let's Green Day, have bang. And, like, it's, you know, you, you're waiting for this, like, yeah. kind of, like, really, like, political piece of, like, a middle finger to the system from Green Day. Now, they don't have to do that. Like just because they did a political album once that lit the world on fire, doesn't mean that then every time there's an asshole president that Green Day or an arsehole, a president that Green Day don't like, that Green Day should then be expected to do another political album. That's not necessarily the case. But no, I think the, the no. world just kind of we just kind of expected, it, didn't we? Because that they, they were so they, they were so visceral at Bush, and with such a divisive figure as Trump in office, you know, you would think that. Will the, the world would be awaiting this a visceral attack on Trump? Which, <laughs> is, which it hasn't con- <laughs> is it possible?
1: Is it possible? their green dyed all multimillionaires have turned into Republicans.
0: <laughs> well, um, that is a controversial opinion, but um, mate, like, um... I
1: mean, I mean, I mean, sorry, unless there, unless there's some hidden metaphors behind checks, notes, graffiti, um, then, 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 then I, I might be, I might be wrong, but yeah, you're right. They were visceral against Bush, and it doesn't take a political analyst to point out that some of this. There's a lot of similarities going on in what's going on today. They're just not. They're not bothered. They're not bothered.
0: When it comes to looking back at Green Day's legacy, for me, they've almost become. And you know, this is this is where it starts. Saying, "I'm getting nasty now." They're almost like two separate bands now, and that's like that's like one of the worst things you can say about a band's discography. Because you've got everything up to 2000... Theoretically, actually, thinking about it... Green Day could be three different bands. Do you know what I mean? Because 1994 to 2002 is one era. And then you've got 2003 to 2008 that's another era. And then you've got this now. Because those three eras all sound massively different to each other. And in some ways, you can absolutely credit Green Day for that. Because me and you have said before... Green Day, like, invented the zeitgeist in 1994. And then 10 years later with American Idiot, they fucking did it again. They did, like, they moved into, like, rock opera territory. No one was doing that in 2004. You know what I mean? Um, And so they can be credited for sounding, so, like, three separate bands. But also, as they've got into the latter stages, you can can say now that Green Day's last five albums were really bad. DOS... (sighs) Doss is, you know, just on the five out of ten territory, um, but the other four are like really bad albums, and it, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking here, like this kind of puts me off every band that are like in their late forties that are coming back and doing an album. Do you know what I mean? It makes me lose faith in the idea that System of a Down could do one more great album because <laughs> now, obviously, System of a Down is a completely different sound, different band, different makeup to Green Day. But the point remains: how many bands reach into an older age and they start releasing albums that are just like duds? Do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah, I think, I think, I think a lot of bands that have to be in that circumstance really have to accept that they're different people, different musicians, and different artists. I think if you're trying to recapture what it used to be then that that always seems like a failed mission. But it's worth mentioning for Green Day. And I'm obviously much less of a fan than you. But I would be interested to hear the album that they would have released if they didn't accidentally get deleted before American Idiot came out.
0: Fascinating concept, that is, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, because American Idiot was written in like a month. It was lightning in a bottle and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, Is there a chance? Is there a chance that whatever the album that wouldn't have been American Idiot would have been not great and would right. it you know what i mean and and then we're looking back at green and if that doesn't happen if one guy doesn't actually sit on the wrong button are we looking back at green day thinking well dookie was really good
0: <sighs> mate um that is one of the one i suppose in music that's one of the great questions out there what would that album have sounded like because they literally scrapped when, once the album that the masters were stolen and that kind of thing they literally scrapped the entire idea and American Idiot was this completely brand new concept and uh, apparently not one song carried over. But fast forward into today, this is a bad album, man. You, you, you might get some of out of this. I suppose R- Ready, Fire, Aim isn't that bad. You know, it's got quite an upbeat chorus and stuff. And Are Shug- you going to listen
1: to this album again? No. Uh,
0: and Sugar, <laughs> Sugar, <laughs> Sugar Youth is... The best song on the album by a mile, but as a whole, this is bad. This is a really bad album.
1: Yeah, let's um, let's put a let's put a full stop in this one, man. This yeah, is yeah. Let's
0: let's move on to something really cool. Um, Dave Mustaine announced on stage at Wembley Arena that he's cancer-free. Now that's the sickest thing ever, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's fucking amazing, man. Because Dave Mustaine, uh, for those who I'd be surprised if you weren't aware, but just in case, um, guitarist and vocalist for Megadeth, classic and a legendary heavy metal band. And and he's had uh, an incredibly unfortunate life, hasn't he? Because he lost um, feeling in his hand, didn't he? In, like, the early 2000s. He, he yes. had to teach himself not just to play guitar again, but just to, like, hold things. So not only did he lose feeling in his hands and have to like learn how to use the nerves in his hand again. He had to teach himself how to play guitar, but not just like play guitar like, oh, there's an open mic night at the pub round the corner. It's <laughs> like play guitar, guitar like pl- Dave Mustaine. But play guitar like Dave Mustaine, who is one of the great guitarists of the last 30, 40 years. So he's a tremendous, tremendous individual. And you know, I've read reviews of the show they were supporting Five Finger Death Punch Sold out show By the way Five Finger Death Punch At Wembley Arena We're going to get onto that in a moment But I'm really Yeah you know, it's just Amazing great now, Obviously there's not A lot we can discuss here It's really sick That Dave Mustaine Is now 100% cancer free It's amazing That he got to Announce it on stage And from live reviews That i read uh, They were absolutely Brilliant and tight as fuck Which is not surprising And great for Dave um, Wish him all the best And I'm so pleased All the shit And the, the amazing musicians That we keep keep losing, and Ozzy Osbourne's just come out and say he's got Parkinson's, and all this kind of stuff, I'm glad that Dave Mustaine is, you know, okay at the moment, and 100% cancer free, but a point off that, um, mate, five figure death punch setting out Wembley Arena, they're going to headline down loud, aren't they, like, within the next two years,
1: yes and, uh, and even yes, though
0: even though me or you might scale at that, that idea uh, the, the, the the fact is mate that they're massive they're huge and it's strange because corners of the internet seem to be absolutely massively against them but then when you when you piece that together the aren't corners of the internet massively against every single massive band ever literally, yes. Li- yes literally that um so, even though you'll see all these memes that are shared, taking the piss out of five-figure death punch, man, it's almost like criticism is the highest form of flattery, sometimes in metal, in the sense of, like, if there's 100,000 people that really wish your band didn't exist, hey, at least they're listening, you know? And they're, and they're, now, they're, now, they're aware of you. And then there's the, the 1.9 million people which might be fucking absolutely buzzing that your band exists and you've you changed the musical outlook and that kind of thing. Like, are you a fan of Five Finger Death Punch, by the way? They're okay. I mean, I they're all right. I don't think we've ever had this conversation in depth. Like, I've got a new album coming out uh, this year, so I suppose we'll review it and we'll chat about it. But I, I've never been really captured by them. I think they're like, it's like cartoonish metal in a sense. Have you ever seen them live?
1: Yeah, I saw them at Download.
0: I caught them at Reading. Uh, Terrific live band Three years ago And you know what mate I I was like at the back Chilling with like a hot dog Like you know Just with a beer man Just like watching But mate The people who were in it At the front Were really fucking into it And you know what man They'll headline download And there'll be 10,000 comments On the Facebook and Twitter page Saying how whack Five Finger Death Punch are People will turn up for it though The Five Finger Death Punch pants Will fucking turn up
1: Metal will always have places for bands that sound like Five Finger Death Punch. Yeah, they um, do. They they do the checklist of what's required. Yeah, uh, uh, it's 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 the vocals, that that sort of powerful melodic, raw sort of stuff. It's 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 it really it really hits a chord with a certain degree, um, a certain contingent of metal fans, and there will always be, always be thirty thousand people who want to drink beer and put their fists in the air and 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 and, and play and, and head and not headbang as such but sort of like nod their head and like you know sing choruses that are memorable and they write they write decent tunes like it's it's not it's not they're not it's not amazing i don't think it's gonna set the world on fire but they they appeal to like a a, a middle section of metal fans like between like late 20s and early 40s and that's and that's perfectly fine. Like man, people take the piss out and Nickelback. Nickelback are playing stadiums. Yeah, you, you people people right. like choruses. People like memorable lyrics. People like good guitar solos. is what people like Poison and Def Leppard and or and Kiss. Man, fuck me. If, if Kiss weren't around for forty years, people would be calling them legendary. There'd be people were, people hated Kiss when they were first around. People hated Queen when they were first around. Like people just don't like bands that sound like pop artists masquerading as metal bands but there's lots of people that do because pop music is lo and behold popular so if you have pop sensibilities inside rock music you're always going to appeal to people people can't ignore good melody it's 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 music it's impossible
0: as the download fans continue to point more and more guns at andy copping's head and say for the love of fucking God, give us someone new. I think Five Finger Death Punch are probably the safest bet he can put on, aren't they? I mean, yeah, I, I, know, yeah, I, I, I think that the time was this year to go bring me an architect. I said it a million times on a, as an architect sub headline, bring me headline, and I think they've probably missed the boat on that now, and I don't think they'll be able to do. I mean, I'd like them to do it again in in the future, but I, I just don't think it'll be pulled off. Um, so with that gone. And like, okay, you want a new headliner, uh, Five Finger Death Punch seller out arenas, so cool, we'll put bu- we'll book them, and there's your new headliner, stop complaining.
1: If you've yeah. got a fill a field of 90,000 people, why would you ever take risks?
0: That's it, uh, you know, and as I've mentioned before, um, where is the evidence that all these new bands that you'd love to headline are big enough to headline? There isn't none, because they're not big enough to headline. And that's just the way it is. Um, not going to tread over too much of that conversation because we've, we've done it previously. I just wanted to mention that they've yeah. sold it out and that that's probably. And actually, I read that Ivan Moody, as he went off stage, was like, the next time you see us, we'll be headlining Download Festival, which is either a mistake by him or like a really nice, bold, like cool commitment from like a brash metal vocalist. It's either one or the other. I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be the latter and that he's not he's not re- accidentally released the first headline of download 2021.
1: No, I think it's just ambitious.
0: Going to move on, Sam, to something that me and you, a band that me and you have never, ever spoke about before on the podcast.
1: Do you like Oasis? Bits of it. Yeah. They have, they have two superb albums.
0: So every year, and it's interesting because it does always tend to be around the same time every year. There's, the rumours of oh, Oasis might reform all this kind of thing or Liam mm. ra- Liam Gallagher randomly put one tweet up saying like oh I'd love to do it but fucking Noel doesn't want to do it cause he's... and then he'll just insult his brother <laughs> for whatever reason. But yep. this time it got a little bit extra interesting because Liam put a tweet up and said we've been offered £100 million to reform but Noel doesn't want to do it. He went on and said some derogatory lines about Noel. Noel replied and he was like, hey, by the way, um, that was a lie. We haven't been offered 100 million, but I guess someone has got a new single they need to promote. (laughs) Which, yeah, a bit of a fucking dig there. Can I just put it to you that... Was there a point where you thought there's no way Guns N' Roses will ever ever reform?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there was. For like a decade. (laughs) (laughs) Because, <laughs> like, Axel Rose was like, nah, f- for a Slash long time. Slash was like, he? nah. Like, it, they, they they hadn't spoken to each other for, like, 12 years. And Axel Rose called him a cancer in a news interview. And and Slash was like, that dude's a prick. Like, we're not going to be in the same room ever. And it just, it just went on for a decade. And Guns N' Roses were doing their own shows and Slash was doing his own thing. And it just felt like it was never going to happen. But... There comes a time in a man's life when he is offered a significant sum of money to pretend to like those around him, and that is what will once again happen to every band in existence. Would you be interested at all if they did get back together? Um, yeah, a bit, a little bit, but I'd rather see them at a festival than pay to see them on their own. Um, catch me, catch me heading to Glastonbury for a day. Or Reading and Leeds for a day than paying 150 quid to see um Oasis because I think that crowd would be intolerable. <laughs> like I yeah. I re- I, re- <laughs> I really do. Sometimes think... you're the oldest man alive. No, no, Chris, no, Chris. But like, I do we know went, what you we mean. Went, we went to school with all of these people, <laughs> and it would be full of Fred Perry jackets and straight haircuts and mancunian accents from people that aren't from anywhere near manchester and people walking like they're from fred and perry and way too much beer and i wouldn't hear liam gallagher because there'd be three blokes around my ears being like (laughs) an error in 45 minutes and i wouldn't be able to leave because they'd all beat me up (laughs) and i'd rather just watch it on telly to be fair to be fair (laughs) man but if i went to a festival at least 50% of the people are like, yeah, I'm just here for a laugh. Yeah. Rather
0: you've, than the mate,
1: you've got hard, a good nice, point. The greatest band ever in the world sort of people, I wouldn't be able to fucking handle that.
0: You've got a, you've got a good point, man. I, I, would, I, I would be interested. I, I, obviously, I was brought up on My brother loves them so much. So, yeah, you know, if it does happen, which do I think it'll happen? I do, yeah, because at the end of the day, money talks. And ev- eventually... <laughs> There's not that many bands that haven't reformed or like the, when when there's been a legitimate want for it. There's not that many bands that have said no because eventually the money, the, the cheque just there looks was, too nice. Do you
1: know when their last show was or when the last time they were together and their, friends?
0: Their last show was at V Festival um, and I believe that
1: was 2009. All right, so it's it's not... I know it sounds really silly, but it's it's not really been much part of the past 10 years. And, and Noel still tours on his own and plays Oasis tunes and so does Liam. Yeah. Let's get that out of the way. It's not like no, it's not like if you didn't want to hear Wonderwall, you couldn't hear it. Yeah, and I've seen Noel live. I
0: saw him sub-headline for the Stone Roses at V Festival. Literally, the only reason I went was to see Noel and the Stone Roses. And... You know what? I'm not a massive fan of Noel Solo stuff, but it was still great because he played "Don't Look Back in Anger." So, uh, and then obviously he was subbing for the Stone Roses, another band that I really like. So, it was still great. And as you were mentioning, they both still play away, his songs.
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I'd give it another couple of years, but yeah, at some point it's going to happen.
0: The check again. The check's just going to look too green, isn't he? Eventually, hundred percent. And the, the older you get,
1: you think you think to yourself, "Oh well." This might be the last big tour I could do. And that and that, that sort of that sort of thing starts biting you in the heels. you don't don't to be doing an Oasis tour at seventy. No. Nah. You know? But you but you might you be able to do one at fifty five. And and that and that's and that's that's the world that we're living in now. And on a side note, Liam ne- um Liam needs to stop acting like surprised that his brother doesn't get back in touch with him when he tweets out, Why won't you come out and tour with me, you prick? Like why would <laughs> why why would you want to share a stage with someone that's like, Yeah? Come out with me, you dickhead. Like I, d- I don't know what... Do you know, he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to do that. And his solo stuff's doing much better. It's it's Liam that's hanging on the coattails, I think. And he's just playing up a character. But that, that's a side side point. It will happen eventually. And they'll have separate changing rooms and won't talk to each other. And then Liam will put his arm round Noel in the last five minutes of morning glory and fucking 80,000 people that wear Ben Sherman, Paolo shirts. I'll share it on Facebook. I love you.
0: It's true, though, eh? I mean, to be fair, though, yeah. <laughs> can't really argue much. Um, mate, let's talk about Lamb of God. Let's. A band we're going to be seeing in just over two months Can't fucking wait for that A new single from Lamb of God And a announcement of a new album Uh, It's it's going to be self-titled out on the 8th of May Which is just around the corner It's not too far away That'll soon creep up on us And it's going to be cool to know that literally After we've seen them live We've only got two weeks to wait for them To be straight back in our conversation again Which is awesome Uh, The new song that they've released from the album Is called Checkmate I'm all about this song Sam Yes, me too. It's it's what you want from Lamb of God. It's the the guttural, southern metal, brash. Randy sounds like he wants to stab everyone in the world. Anger. This is fucking great, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. It's absolutely everything you could have wanted from a new Lamb of God single. Absolutely. It is it, just bloodthirsty and beautifully paced. And no one writes riffs like Mark Morton and Willie Adler no one there's there, there's no other guitarist sounds like these two and the combination of the blues and the down tuning with randy Blythe's voice not there aren't many metal bands at all that even to the same ballpark of lamb of god and i am so glad that they still sound like this because i was starting to worry that they were no longer gonna sound like this you know like sturm and drang with like some of the the, the, the the like the melodic stuff and then chris adler left it's like oh shit is Lamb of God going to be like past tense? Like, do you remember Lamb of God rather than Lamb of God is sick? And I'm so glad that this is is out. This was well chosen. And I'm really glad to have them back in my life sounding like that.
0: Jamie is going to be on the album from Hatebreed on Poison Dream. I'm very, very excited for that one. Wonder I what think... his
1: role's going to be. Do you think he's going to play the xylophone or something?
0: <laughs> I think him and Randy could have a, a, a beautiful... Actually, maybe Interesting right adjective word. choice <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, I think they'll have a, a wonderful <laughs> a play, off, play off of each other there. Um, yeah, this is this it's is fucking great. Of... Ma- this is great, man, because like it, it's the right the album if you don't count the releases when they were "Burn the Priest." No, and the I think this is going to be like one of those points where I've got faith in this album to stand alone and be a record that can be looked back at I'd be like hey here's here's the proof that Lamb of god are still flying the flag for american heavy metal because they kind of brought that age through didn't they the new yeah, wave right. of american heavy metal and yep. as time went as as time's gone on i think like the last like great album was like what they did resolution didn't they and then, was there an album? Let me just double-check, actually. Because, um, I don't want to say anything that's massively incorrect. Um, they did... Obviously, Sturm and Drang was the last album. And yet, Resolution was in 2012. But I really loved Wrath in 2009. That, that album had some of the sickest lines on from Randy. And then... They did resolution, which was which was decent, and then as you mentioned, Sturm and Drang started to just turn off a little bit, and there's been somewhat of a radio silence. And they did that EP called not like an even so much as an EP, just a couple of songs under the, under the Duke, which like they said was like an offshoot. So now it was at the point where it's like if the next Lamb of God album isn't great we're just going to accept the fact that they're not like an amazing heavy metal band anymore but with this track I've got full faith that this self-titled record is going to fucking bang and I cannot wait to see them at the end of April.
1: Me too, me too. This was um, a really reassuring step.
0: We're going to go on to the greatest metal album of all time. This We're going to return to it. It's going to be the first time this year that we've gone to it, Sam. Um, So for those who have forgotten, Sam's been going through the 100 greatest metal albums of all time. We've been doing it for a while now because we've been doing it in little segments for each episode. We're now on the number 32, if I'm correct, Sam, yeah?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, yeah. yeah.
0: We're on number 32, we're going to do five today. And then eventually right. we're going to get down to the top 20. For when we get do to the top 20, from 20 to 10, we'll do segments specifically for each album. And then when we do get down to 10, we'll do episodes specifically for each album, just okay. so you know what's coming there, which will be really, really cool. I'm really looking forward to it, especially in the summer. So uh, let's get to it, Sam. Album 32.
1: The 32nd greatest metal album of all time, Sepultura Roots.
0: Oh, boy, what a banger. Um, mate, take
1: the floor. Um, first of all, um, before you know this, this is... Um, probably the third great album Sepultura have ever done, um, but in my opinion, we Chaos ID was incredible thrash album, and they've had have had several great thrash albums really, and and this this roots is just a complete removal. Um, for it came out in 1996 and followed several very successful thrash albums for Sepultura that established themselves as one of the early 90s uh, most prevalent bands alongside Pantera, Machine Ed, and several others. Uh, Roots uh, came about as a result of a dream that Max Cavalera had, where he woke up in a rainforest back at home in Brazil, where the band are from, and then they started experimenting with that home percussion, that level of Brazilian-style Af- uh, uh, Latino drum beats, and then melding it with... The, the Sepultura, Riffs, and Eagle Cavalera. And what you've got is prob- probably one of the bravest left turns a big metal band has ever taken, where they've actually they slowed down. And people don't look at it back because it was just an immediate classic. But at the time, like the decision-making process for them to strip everything back from being a thrash band, there's no thrash songs on this. It's mid-tempo, slow-paced, new metal-influenced. This is 1996 as well, so new metal wasn't as big a deal as it became a little bit later on in the late 90s and early 2000s, and then mix it with this Latin drum beat and even invite members of like Brazilian tribes to join in on guest vocals. It's just a listen that I would recommend to every metal fan because there's, there's not an album like it. And I know it sounds like I say that a lot, but we're talking about some of the top great, the greatest metal albums of all time here, so. These albums are the gold standard by which is measured, but this is a, a combination of genre and culture I have never heard replicated and never really perfected beyond this. If you listen to to, to Mahata off this album, which is the fourth track, um, you hear the tribal music at the start and then Max Cavalera comes in with this like deep guttural countdown that uno Dos Tres Cuatro that's become iconic for Sepultura sit before and since and it kicks in with this like just chaos of noise of the drums and the sticks and the the the, the band themselves it all blends together beautifully and the second verse where they're sparring between Max Cavalera and Carlinhos Brown um it's just tremendous and it's such such a great album, such a brave album, such an individual album. It's got, obviously, the, the title track, Roots, Bloody Roots, is amazing. It's it's one of the all-time great metal songs and starts off with just some of Max Cavalera's like, most guttural vocals for the simplicity of the lyrics and Igor Cavalera's drums, which are just sublime all the way through. But listen to this. It's so atmospheric as well, how it breaks off into the, the tribal stuff and everything. So... As a combination, really, this this album is Sepultura's greatest album, it's the most impactful album, it's their most iconic album, and it's one of the bravest steps a band has ever taken, I think, in in modern heavy metal. And then moving on? Um, 31, um, Pantera, first appearance, Cowboys from Hell. Fuck me, mate, I love this album so much. Yeah, is it, isn't it just the best? It's um looking great, man. Just, just, to, just to give it a little bit of context, this is Pantera's real breakthrough. Um, features the title track, uh, but also has great songs like Proma Concrete Sledge, Cemetery Gates, which is just so underrated. And The Art of Shredding, which, if you're ever a metal guitarist, this is one of those songs where you just sit down and listen to this. This is the one of the most I- iconic, definitive... If you're learning guitar and you're into metal music, you have to sit down and establish Dimebag Darrell as one of the the great metal guitarists. For me, I don't know about you, Chris. Um, Dimebag's on like the Mount Rushmore of metal guitarists, undoubtedly. Yeah, you know, like you can you can argue with me about, and I don't mind whoever you want to put them there. You know, you can put um, a variety of people. You know, from um, from Jeff Hanneman to, to obviously James Hetfield to uh, Dave stain or Van Halen or all these sort of stuff, but as long as Dimebag's on there, I think that that's that's fair enough. And it was the the world's first introduction to the real the real groove metal that Pantera became you know, noted for, and then they perfected a few years later, in my opinion, on um, on Volga Display of Power. But no band, again, it's the the riffs here and the fact that the combination of uh, of bag and Vinnie Paul as a guitar drums duo how they match up and how they spar off each other and phil Anselmo's like nail dragging across a chalkboard voice it's, it's it, my favorite rhythm section of any band panteras they're they're un, they're, un, they're, un, they're unbeatable aren't they and it's also got um, my personal favorite pantera song in domination um, so sick Oh. So sick, and it really sums up the band because it has three different tempos. It has the fast-paced one at the start, the and then kicks into this, like, breakdown, but it's the verse, and then over the top of it, you've got Phil Anselmo's voice that just continues while the, the riff stops, and I love that juxtaposition, and then at the end, it's got one of the, like, the darkest breakdowns, locked yeah. in the 1990s, yeah, it's so heavy, and then on top of that, Dimebag comes over with this shredding that's just mind-melting. Uh, and just to hear that, like, in the late 80s, early 90s, it is just incredible. And this ba- this, this album really took them off. Uh, this far-beyond-driven and and, and and vulgar display of power, it's the, it's the holy trinity of Pantera albums. And this is one of the all-time greats. This is a... This Guitar World actually called it the 11th most influential band, um, uh, album ever for a rock guitarist. Um and, and I, I completely, I completely agree. It's one, of, it's one of the the all time great metal albums as well. And I think it's just from a musician standpoint, from an instrumental standpoint, for what it set up the band to do later. It's in, it's iconic, immediately iconic.
0: And then uh, the top
1: thirty, Sam? The first album in our top thirty, um, a little known band called Slipknot, yeah. uh, with their second album Iowa.
0: Man, like <laughs> a, a real, a real game changer for metal in the in the sense of that they could replicate that fucking atmosphere from their yes. self-titled debut.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It confirmed that Slipknot were not a one-off, um, and the fact that they it wasn't just a blip. The first album wasn't just a blip, and it's arguably their most complete album they've ever produced. Um, in terms of songwriting quality, in terms of consistency, in terms of production. Um, it's also the longest album, which is interesting. Um, so arguably their most progressive um, two. But from the minute this kicks off, <laughs> with, from the second this kicks off, features one of some of the all-time great Slipknot moments and, and, and ones that have have formed the... Some of the backbone of Slipknot's set nowadays uh, with uh, Disaster Peace and Left Behind and um, People Equals Shit and My Plague and the title track, New Abortion Skin Ticket. There isn't a bad song on this album and, and Heretic Anthem, which is just incredible. Um, Slipknot went um, seamlessly um, manoeuvred from a incredibly raw, unsettling band to professional metal dominance, but still maintained that level of intensity. And, and lyrical deviancy all at the same time here and it is just an astonishing album and it's you know it's part of Slipknot's it's great early period and this is you know this is one of Metal's great bands and arguably their best album if not their greatest but arguably their best album so absolutely this is one of the top thirty greatest metal albums of all time. Listen to the track list and this is astonishing. It's even now if Slipknot released this in 2020, it'd be the top one of the five heaviest albums I've heard in the last two years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If I'd never if
1: I'd never heard it up until this point, the um, opening t- the
0: opening lyrics to this album, "Here We Go Again, Motherfucker," it, that that's my favorite opening lyrics to any album ever.
1: 100
0: people Equals shit because it's just it's it's so sick because of how absolutely brutal their first album was and how dark it was. And how unsettling it was, like he said. And then it comes into Iowa, and you hear that yep. like fucking Mick Thompson shredding the shit out of it. And then obviously Joe, Joey's behind, and then Corey comes in. Here we go again, motherfucker! And it just breaks into this absolute hundred mile an hour, like white knuckle, just massive collective metal sound. The album is absolutely fantastic. Yes, just and man, we saw people equal shit. Literally, what? Three weeks ago, it still goes off live.
1: Absolutely, this might be. the, If we talk about Holy Hell, as one of the great albums of the twenty first century. This might be top of the tree. Yeah, like the, this, the Blackening, maybe, um, and, and a few others. But this is right up there. Look um, at the, 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 the critical reception here. All right, I know it was Slipknot, and this was. There were there were already a lot of lot of sort of stuff that it came out, but it was platinum within like months uh they were nominated for a grammy the second single was nominated for a grammy the following year uh left behind was top 13 single sales in the united states and the uk my plague was top 43 i was sixth in the 50 arms of the year by nme in 2001 um it was third of the billboard 200s um it was platinum in the united states by the by october the 10th 2001 right um it's just extraordinary that the, the 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 critical reception. Um, and even if you go away from what Metal Hammer said, what Kerrang says, let's let's read this from the Yahoo. Yahoo. <laughs> John Mulvey, who's writing for Yahoo, said they're an evolutionary dead end. The final absolute triumph of new metal. Yahoo said that. A search engine. <laughs> like this isn't just like a victory. This wasn't just a victory for metal. This was seminal for culture do you know what i mean like yeah. that slipknot kicked the door open onto the 21st century and there are maybe two or three better albums that have been released in the last 20 years than this one and it's just just utterly extraordinary
0: and in at number 29 all
1: right so in at number 29 we have tools anemia now this might seem like a strange choice following um slipknot but but um this is uh, tool's most influential iconic and uh, sort of it opened the door for tool it's their second album and features a couple of their big hits such as uh 46 and 2 and stink fist and and anemia itself and things like that it it confirmed tool as tool i know it sounds really strange but it's the it's the album that that justified the enigma and really started establishing tool as the band that they that they you know the band that they they are and the band that they became and the band that they are now you know consistently known as that are completely in control of creating um, creating the sound that they are, and this is one of the most impactful albums of the last sort of twenty-five and thirty years in terms of its influence in its own genre, how individual it is, how unique it is. It's it's probably my favorite tool album. Maybe that lower La I can you can write me up on whichever side of the bed I am, and I and I'll pick which one it is. Um, but this is their most refined, their most succinct, and it really just. Like really set Tool as the weirdest fucking band on the planet. Um, the line notes thanked ketamine, ritual magic, and religious fundamentalism as part okay, of its no. um, like line notes thanking people uh, for the for the lyrical themes. Um, there is a collection of strange samples, including like random background noises of seagulls and. Uh, the comedian Bill Hicks giving a set about drugs. Um, there's a song called "Prison Sex" on here, which is about, well, you know, <laughs> and it, it's just, but <laughs> it's the most interesting album. I one of the most interesting albums I've ever heard. Can I just? I'm going to read you um, this little bit um, as the explanation about. Um, about this album and it, it's i'm just going to start reading this bit that tool used to do as part of their live shows off anemia um there's a segue in the ndh style der iron von satan it is induced by a distorted bass long giving way to a heavy industrial guitar starting at the 23 second mark and lasted only 10 seconds playing a single chord in drop c tuning over a reverse drum beat in i get this right Non-isochronal, 9-8 metre, using an axac rhythm of 3 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2. The lyrical component of the song is spoken in German. Bass player for Zalman Sex Types, a band called Sex Tapes. He's a band based by, by, by a sound that resembles a hydraulic press. A crowd cheering and applause that increases in volume as the lyrics are read with increasing ferocity. These combined effects make the song sound like a militant German rant or Nazi rally. I mean, really, what other band does that?
0: I mean, that that is absurd, to be fair.
1: just a combination of the crazy lyrical ideas, the ridiculous time signatures, and the uniqueness of the sound. And then you remember that it was actually a success. (laughs) Like, this this is just me picking out, like, oh, check this random fucking band that did this weird shit. Like, these tools are, like, legendary because of stuff like this, and they they developed an incredibly hardcore fan base that has coloured what they've done. Time and time and time and time again. And when you think of Tool, shown the first few tracks of this, and and you'll hear all the grunge and all the riffs and the sound, and it just established the, the, the Tool sound, which is like no other band ever. And as a result, it has to be considered here just in terms of influence and just longevity and greatness. And that's it. i uh, have got one more. Go on. Um, Rage Against the Machine... With their debut album, self-titled. Man, I
0: thought this would be higher. I really did. Not, not to say that you're wrong for putting it here. I, I expected this in the top fifteen. Um, so I'm fucking excited for what follows. But again, mate, the floor is yours.
1: Yeah, I, I, I. I what I will say is that I'm hoping that when I read the other bands, the other albums that are left off, you like. In fairness, I'm not sure I could have put it beyond X, yeah. Y, and Z um because there's so many albums left that you're like oh yeah that's amazing as well um this is here not just because of its musicality which is incredible not just it's lyrical themes which are brave and bold but its bravery and its cultural impact uh, this came out in 1992 so this is two years before Korn invented new metal um this is five or six years before Limp Bizkit um and nearly a full decade before Linkin Park um this is this was seminal this was um incredible this is um funk rap rock um metal hardcore all wrapped in one and on top of that a seething mass of hatred for the establishment for education for anti-liberalism for all of the things that anyone who's over the age of 15 but under the age of 35 tends to be really annoyed about and to essentially rage against the machine summarised the famous quote by a labor politician nye bevin i'll repeat today which is if you're not angry you're not paying attention um and that's and that's what rage against the machine are all about from their complaints from police brutality to um to edu- to the educational reform to um governmental um housing plans and poverty and patriotism and war all condensed in an album that has on the cover a a buddhist man being set on fire uh in a self protest against i think it was the american soldiers in the late 60s um but please check me up on that um but it is it is rage it is riot it is anger and poison and political insanity all molded in like 60 minutes. And it's just so compelling and so engaging, but at the same time, dancey and groovy and interesting and enjoyable and anger inducing and head bobbingly, dan- uh, head bobbingly catchy. And from killing your name, off have to take the power back to, um, to bomb track. Um, there are just a collection of incredible songs on here. Know Your Enemy. Just, just an extraordinary, extraordinary album, on top of which features um, one of the most interesting guitar sounds I have ever heard, ever. That is, it has never been repeated by any other band. And the combination of that and Zach um, Delaroche's lyrics just makes for one of the most iconic individual and incredible albums and politically, politically visceral albums I've ever heard. I'm a teacher. And every time I hear the line at the end of take the power back, where he's like, the teacher stands in front of the class with a lesson plan. He can't recall. Um, when he pauses, I'll get goosebumps. And the bits where he, he lists all of the things that is like, um, imperialism, uh, the elite and, Anti liberalism and patriotism, and and then he gets hypocrisy, brutality. All of these are American dreams. All of these are American dreams. And it stops and it just, he goes to the end and he repeats himself. He's screaming it into the microphone and he finally goes, All of these, and then he pauses are American dreams and he just finishes. It's just excellent. It is just so good. It's so good. It's rage, literally, obviously against against the system against the machine like that like i say, but it is just a ball of hatred condensed into one album and i think it is just one of my personal favorite albums of all time
0: we're going to move on to the last two album reviews of this week and they are from suicide silence and from polaris we're going to finish on polaris So we're going to do Suicide Silence first. New album is called Become The Hunter. It's out on the 14th of February via Nuclear Blast. It's the band's sixth studio album, their first since the self-titled record in 2017. Sam, do you remember that album? I do. We had... (sighs) Me Me and you, when we did that album review, we were... You were somewhat more disparaging than me. I... I did struggle with it and I remember saying to you like man they've took a chance here and like this hasn't worked and what's what's happened here is they've played Russian roulette with their careers and I think they've put a bullet in the brain by accident um because it was like overnight they seemed to become like this band that had Really distanced herself from extreme music, but not in the sense of like, "Oh, we wanted to be something more." It was like, "Oh, we wanted to be something more," and fuck you guys as well. While we're at it, because there was a point where I was like, "I don't think I can go back now," because they do you remember like the the spat they had with Diarrhe's murder? Diarrhe's yep. murder started making the hat saying "Make Deathcore Great Again." Suicide Silence had been like, "Yeah, Deathcore's like." extreme metal's fun, but we want something more, and we're not interested, like, I remember at the end of the self-titled album, you can just hear Eddie I like, nonchalantly whistling in the background, like, they know the record they've done is going to be massively divisive, but they don't care, and it just appeared, like, they were on the front of every meme, where it was, like, taking the piss out of them, and there was videos taking the piss out of them as well, going all around the internet. And I said earlier in the podcast that mockery is sometimes the sincerest form of flattery, but this is one of the instances where like it, it did appear that... It was a sincerest
1: that, form of insult in this yeah, case. Yeah,
0: that, like, that the band's career was starting to go towards the cliff edge, because where they had divided the Extreme Metal fans, it didn't seem that they had brought in fans of other genres, either I remember I'm not sure whether how accurate this is but for some reason because I'm talking like nearly three years ago but for some reason I feel like I remember reading online that uh, album sales had been quite bad and that tour sales weren't very good either again I could be corrected on that but I, I do feel like I remember I remember that uh, happening and I it was strange because You Can't Stop Me which was the album before that came 18th on the Billboard 200. 18th. They're an extreme metal band. It was, you know, and that is really something quite extraordinary for extreme metal. Like, I know 18th doesn't seem massively high in terms of our, like, the UK top 20, but, uh, the Billboard 200, 18th is, like, really, really high, especially if you are an extreme metal band as heavy as Suicide Silence. So when they did this massive shift to what the self-titled record was, I was like, man, I don't think you timed this right because it seemed like you were right on the cusp of being absolutely massive and like being real force drivers for extreme metal slash deathcore. And then I thought after that self titled record album, as I said, I'm not sure whether they can go back now because they've just been so disparaging to death core. However, hmm. this is absolutely an extreme metal album, Sam. I'll yes. let
1: you take the rounds on this one because I took the rounds on Green Day. Okay. Um, the level of enjoyment a user or a listener will have to this album will be answered by one question. Do you like really heavy music? If you like really, really, really heavy music, without exception, without deviation, you will adore this album. If you're a fan of Suicide Silence up until their last album, which I will double down on my original opinion, is an abomination, um, then you will enjoy this album immensely. It, it Do is... Do you personally enjoy it? It's not... I like it in parts because I like death metal in parts... But I, I I do find this a little bit one one dimensional. Um, now I think, and I'll, I'll I'll start with the positives. I think number one, um, this is a good choice by the band because if you establish through like three or four albums that you're a death metal band, and you have a death metal audience, then playing death metal is going to reach to your audience. I do feel like this is a "We didn't mean what we said" kind of album. Please come back it does feel like that to be honest um because the first two tracks are so deliberately and egregiously heavy that i can tell that they've been selected to open the album to reassure fans because as the band goes on as the album goes on later then they start deviating away a little bit not too much but just a little bit um there's a song called serenity of obscenity that starts off with an acoustic sort of clean guitar sort of sound if i started with that Suicide Silence fans, be throw the laptop out the window within the first two minutes. So they made sure that the really heavy stuff that establishes it as like death core were like really stacked to the top. And I think this album has really good moments. I think there are three tracks here that are real highlights that I really enjoyed. One is Death's Anxiety, which I thought was terrific. One is Love Me to Death. Which I also thought was absolutely fantastic, and I actually enjoyed Serenity of Obscenity because it had a guitar solo in it. It seemed like a real like progression in terms of the songwriting. The rest of it, it depends entirely if you like extreme metal because that's what it is. It, it's pummeling. It is unrestricted. It is bloodthirsty. It is deliberately, deliberately uh, like I can hear like in the song Two Step. I can hear that every vocal has been stretched out to a point where it sounds as nasty and as guttural and as dark as possible. And the riffs, rather than looking for um, transitions, they've just gone, right, all oh, right, we need to go back here at the end of every chorus, we need to go back to the heavy, back to the breakdown. It feels like an album that's pandering to its own fans a little bit, which I understand because they essentially took the middle finger up to them three years ago. Um, I like it in bits, because I like extreme metal in places. I couldn't listen to four hours of it. I think it's too one-dimensional, and it it, it does get a little bit repetitive yeah. after that. And I find this album a little bit like that in parts. That being said, when it's good, it's very good, because Suicide Silence, when they were good, were very good. Um, I just think it's got, got some really, really great songs at times, and some really, very great riffs at times. But it is those moments are... Sparsely placed between a sludge of death metal that feels deliberately apologetic and deliberately um, reverting back now like i said to you at the time in 2016 i appreciate when bands make a sort of step to change their sort of sound but that i I reserve the right to say whether it's successful or not and that last one was was not just unsuccessful as a new metal album it was as unsuccessful as a piece of music um in in my in my view um whereas this one um is an incredibly successful succinct deathcore album that will massively work for their live performances in which they are trying to re-attract deathcore fans and should place them a little bit further up the the respect ladder of of deathcore publications and deathcore artists and all these people that eddie hamida snidely said we don't need that they now appear to definitely definitely need um this is a good solid deathcore album it's not special and there are moments of greatness on here but aside from that it is a little bit one one dimensional but that being said i think that's a common um a common error or not a a current error a common drawback in a lot of deathcore because i will temper my own viewpoint by saying i didn't if you're coming into suicide silence expecting jazz then you're listening to the wrong band if you're expecting philosophical lyrics you've gone to the wrong band um these guys, Suicide Science, are doing what you expected to have in 2016. They're kind of trying to make up for it. And it's very good in places, but other than that, it is fairly run of the mill deathcore in others.
0: So I thought this album would be a bit more for me, because I'm a bit m- more of a fan of extreme metal than you. I love yeah, I think this. that's fair to say. I love this. I think this is fucking great. It is so, like you say, it's almost obnoxiously heavy. This album is like, you listen to this album in headphones, it sounds like there's a fucking war zone going on. And it is perfectly tuned for me. I think this is great. Like you said, whether this is a bit of a holy shit we're sorry for 2017, I don't know. Only the band know that. And as bold as 2017 was, it's this is almost nearly as bold as that because now to go back it's like i said i just just thought it would be difficult
1: for them do you think it's a bold step in the sense to return to death metal or do you think it's bold in the sense of the songwriting is bold
0: Oh, I don't think the songwriting's bold. The songwriting is something that all, the entire band are already classics uh, Eddie Hamida was already an amazing um, extreme metal vocalist when he was in All Shall Perish. Um, so, yeah, that's a
1: fair cop. That's fair. Uh,
0: enough. I, I, I don't think this is like... I just wanted uh, to clarify. Yeah, I don't think this is like a brave, um, brave of the band from a um, songwriting standpoint. Sorry, I'm just putting these chats on mute so they don't um, come up during the podcast like that. Um, Yeah, so I don't think this is brave in the sense of a songwriting standpoint. I mean, it's brave in the sense of they took this massive step outside of extreme metal and they're back inside extreme metal. So I wasn't sure if they could ever make that step backwards because would it then seem like, well, no, we don't want you now, fuck you. Do do you know what I mean? However, I think all of the history, I think all of like, what happened the self-titled album in 2017 and all that kind of stuff all becomes utterly irrelevant as soon as the album starts. Because if you're a fan of extreme metal, I just can't see any reason why you wouldn't find the, what the opening one, two of that um, instrumental meltdown into two steps to be one of the most fucking pain inducing moments of your entire life. Cause it's so <laughs> unbelievably heavy like, I, I, and, like you, like, you just smile. Because my headphones are like, shaking on my head. Because of the the way this album's been recorded. It's been recorded by the same producer that did You Can't Stop Me. Which, I suppose, when you listen to it, makes complete sense. There is a song on this album called The Scythe. And there's a moment in it. I think it's about the 1 minute 20 mark. Um, The verse stops and a blast beat comes in. And there's a low note section from Eddie. And it is, before, just before it gets to the bridge, and it is the most... I think Thanos would have a word with him about this. Thanos <laughs> would be like, hang on a, hang on a minute, lads. He should pull it back a bit, here, yeah. Because it is absolutely absurd. It's, it's like someone fucking getting you on the floor and just smashing your face until you just turn into bone, like what happens in um, that film that Frank Miller did with uh, Bruce Willis. I think it's called Sin City. Like, where in the end, he just punches his black skull into fucking blood. <laughs> literally literally this this album i think is a really great return to form the guitars are incredibly tight and i knew that the addition of solos is what would get you in because i, I think if this album didn't have a single solo in i think you'd have been out at like track four because it, i, 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 I do agree with you there's not a lot of deviation here this, this is an extreme metal album, but done very well. I must say, I do prefer this to Human Target by, by, by Thy Art is Murder from last year, and I prefer it to World War X from Carn Effects last year as well.
1: That's I think interesting this, one. I prefer it to World War X, but not to Thy
0: Art. I think that, and that, no criticism to, the, to Human Target, I like Human Target as an album, but I think this brings a, a, a more interesting visceral energy, and I think that Eddie Hamaida has got, an extreme metal range that is somewhat underappreciated because he can do, you know, I'm not a massive fan of the, you know, the pig squeals, but he, he can do them and he can sell them better than most. (laughs) That Um, pause
1: before you said pig squeal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He can do them and sell them better than most. He can do that. He can do the guttural lows and the really high pitch as well. So I I do feel like he's under, he's underappreciated uh, from that specific sense it's almost a shame that this didn't follow can't you can't stop me because i feel like if this followed you can't stop me the band stock i mean i'm not saying they'd be like never no, be top 10 billboard 200 and doing like 8000 cap of venues but i feel like the momentum of the band wouldn't have took such a screeching halt however You know what, when they look back at their careers, they might be satisfied that at least they had the balls to try something completely different. Or maybe they would wish they didn't. Obviously, the only people that are going to know that are the band. But for me, specifically as a fan, I would have liked this to follow. You can't stop me. Because I I think this is, is what should have followed, this makes sense. If you listen to You Can't Stop Me in its entirety and then go straight into this, not only are you a fucking maniac and you you need to make sure you don't get tinnitus, but you also that flow does make sense. The, the two bleed into each other uh, quite well.
1: But sometimes you need to deviate from that to go back to it, don't you?
0: I mean, yes. And one of the problems with extreme metal is that... It can be so limiting, however. Saying that, I saw Diotis Murder last Friday in a. I think. 1,100 cap venue. And if it wasn't sold out, holy shit, it must have come like within like 10 tickets of doing so. Because literally, the entire room was full. And Is Murder, it, they basically played a Is Murder set, but with stage production. They had, they had screens behind them. And it was like. It was like a professional extreme metal show done by this band that are really flying the flag. And mm-hmm. and the, the crowd fucking lapped it up, as you can imagine. So, yes, extreme metal can be limiting, but if you just douse enough ingenuity in, then you can make different soundscapes for yourself. And I think Suicide Silence went too far quite clearly with the self-titled album. But here, like you mentioned with that track a uh, Serene Obscene, There's elements. And then you've got like In Hiding, which has got an absolutely fucking brutalising chorus. And I think this is the album that will restore faith in the band. And perhaps what comes next would be the band finding a way to experiment but not deviate. Which is probably the hardest thing to do in music once you've got your blueprint satisfying the 50% while bringing in the other 50% as well. But instead of thinking about what might come in the future, and what's been before, if we just look at the here and now, this is a really, really great Extreme Metal album. I am all for this, and I think this, like I mentioned, this is better than most Extreme Metal releases that we reviewed last year. I think Shadow of Intent I'll put above this, but for me, my own personal levels of enjoyment, it wasn't that far off, obviously Shadow of Intent was much more varied, and from a musical standpoint, and musicianship, and instrumentation was quite far ahead of this, but just from a raw, guttural, punishing, extreme metal sound, I think this is a fucking great record, and Suicide Silence fans, they're back, don't worry about it, you'll fucking have a great time listening to this, but my goodness me, you, you've you got to listen to this album in headphones, man. It's so fucking heavy, I love it. Closing, nice, albu- closing album the show, we're going to do The Death of Me by Polaris, uh, album out on the 21st of February via Sharptown Records. It's the band's second studio album. Uh, Sam, I've been a proponent for Polaris for quite a while, but uh, we, we saw them support Architects at Wembley Arena. And we were like, yeah, these are loads better than Be- Beartooth. Yeah. <laughs> and we found yeah, them Yeah, yeah, watching... we were. It wasn't It wasn't even kind of close, was it? No, no. Polaris were, like, incredibly more interesting to watch and just better than Beartooth. And I already knew that because I was a fan going in from the last album, The Mortal Coil. And I saw them support Northlane, what, three months ago? in a sold-out show, and they were fucking phenomenal. I absolutely loved it. So I, I'm already absolutely sold on this band going in, like 100%. How about yourself? You liked what you heard, but you were waiting on this. It, it, I
1: needed to hear an album like this to be fully convinced.
0: Right. So where there was a time when Wage War kind of occupied the spot for you would imagine the next young band that would probably sit atop metalcore, there when Wage War now seem to have the momentum seems to have dried up and they've kind of whittled away from, from that space. I'm absolutely certain it's Polaris now after this album. How bold do you think that is?
1: Not at all. Can I um Mate, amazing. Go on. Um, Albums that I think this album is better than Go. The last two periphery albums. Oh shit. The last two after the burial albums.
0: Oh, mate! Oh, my the God, last
1: counterparts album. Yeah. This is um, this is probably the best metalcore album I've heard in a decade. This is the best album I've heard since Holy Hell. This is a contender for album of the year.
0: This is fantastic, isn't it?
1: This is the this is this is. I've got like, <laughs> I've got like three pages of notes. I've got like yes. four paragraphs on each song here. This is. Amazing. This is this is incredible. From um and I'll and I'll just give an overall summary before we sort of go in like track specifics. So I'll throw it back to you and stuff like that. But this is a, as a combination of instrumentation of vocal melody and size, from chorus to mixing to the ingenuity of the breakdowns and I want to get into that in detail in a, in a, in, a, in a, whenever I get time because I've got lots to say about all of this. This is as close to perfect a metalcore album could be. It yeah. might be the perfect metalcore album. Um this is now the album that I will show people when I, when people ask me, so what kind of metal are you into? Cuz yeah. this is the this is the perfect modern metal album. This has no flaws has no flaws there isn't a song on this album I didn't really 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 love there isn't a moment on this album and I am notoriously picky notoriously bad for being like oh yeah but that just sounds like eh or yeah but that I could you know what I mean like and, and picking apart stuff that I, there is I, there is nothing absolutely nothing that could be improved on this album it is a perfect metalcore album
0: i I wholeheartedly agree. I think this is absolutely phenomenal. Really, really tremendous, this record. This, this is their second studio album. And I'm just... I'm so excited for what this band can do. I think this is fucking brilliant. It's... Oh, it's so varied in its delivery, isn't it? Which yeah, makes re- it so brilliant.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I, I heard the first two songs pray for rain and hypermania and I, I thought all right this is a great metalcore album um and it's ticking all the metalcore boxes right like it's it's like the brooded introduction at the start of pray for rain i was well in and like the, the some of the lead passages were absolutely tremendous but i thought okay it's like one of those metalcore bands where it's fast it's well paced and the chorus is a bit melodic and they have got that bit where the guy plays like high-pitched lead passages over the chorus right and i've like cool like this is gonna be like an air 10 album I've heard fifteen or twenty like this, right? And then I heard Masochist yeah, straight afterwards. Sick. And the chorus is like beautiful, legitimately mature and powerful. And there's a <laughs> the riff after the, the, the chorus on Masochist where it's essentially the chorus riff but there's no vocals on it anymore and it's like doom yeah, and all that sort of I stuff. Knew you the, dig that. Uh, And it's like, that's the chorus, but without the vocals. And then at the end, they play the chorus riff again, but it's a lower octave and they turn it into a breakdown. I'm like losing my shit because this is the combination of like, this is, this Christian is a perfect example of what I'd like to call the blend. Um, Because when I'm talking about the blend, this is what I'm fucking talking about. This is a combination of an incredible chorus. This could be a pop song. The chorus could. And yeah. then mixed in with the metalcore instrumentation, and then I was like, "All right, cool, that's the hit single." And then I was like, "Then Landmine came on." Oh my god, <laughs> mate! I've been wanting to message you about land, Landmine all fucking week, mate. That solo that follows, the moshcore. Off. It was it was absolutely instru- astonishing. Um, it felt like a traditional metalcore mosh song at the start, and I was like, "Again, like I'm hearing, all right, all right, maybe a bit of Aslan dying here, maybe a little bit of Silosis getting vibes," and then I was like. Then it kicks in with, like, um, the lead riffs um, during the chorus. Every time there's a chorus, something else is slightly different. Every time there's a breakdown, every four bars, they change the tempo of the drums, or the riff slightly changes, or they or they pan the guitar. Have you noticed when they do this in the breakdowns, when they pan the guitar from one side of the speaker to the other, or when they pause to have one guy continue the riff before the other guy kicks back in? And it's stuff like that that keeps you constantly on your toes listening to this album. And I've not heard a metal album in the last couple of years where I couldn't guess what the next stage is going to be. And I had absolutely not a clue when I was listening to this album. Um, And then the guitar solo. And at the start, it started off like this snaky, after the burial style uh, guitar, guitar solo. And then the guy starts doing like some slash Guns and Roses sort of blues licks, and I'm like, oh my god! And then I listen to it back again, and I noticed that behind the guy doing the slash blues licks, the rhythm guitarist behind him is changing, but the solo guitar is carrying on. That's some Metallica shit that is. You like, know, you know how he like, Creeping Death, where Kirk Hammett plays the solo to Creeping Death, and it goes from the backing guitarist, it goes from the verse to the chorus. Yeah. And it, and when it gets to the chorus, he does that melodic part of his solo, and it's like really, it's sick. Um, this is what that's doing. Like they're flexing Metallica style, and it's metalcore. Um, it was just such a such a cocktail. I'm like, all right, these are the two highlights, and then it's like it carries on. <laughs> and it carries on. There's <laughs> carries more. On creatures of habit is like that arpeggio like the the running guitar on on creatures of habit is just gorgeous and the way that they give enough time for the guitar to breathe and then let the vocals wash in and wash out is moments of genius in terms of the songwriting and then above my head i heard a major chord at the start and it was like positive and it's a happy sounding riff at the start and i'm like what the fuck is this and it too often metalcore when they try and do the choruses it sounds cheesy and this for any other band could have gone really badly the you know the major chord upbeat type type of breakdown, massive chorus sort of thing these usually sound really corny this was beautiful this was like a combination of the ethereal melodic riffing with the pop sensibility in the choruses and then I, I, and then waves yeah like there, there, there isn't and then, like this chorus is huge this could be a pop song example i'm not even joking example could sing waves and they'd just strip it back to you know that clean bit at the start yeah they would just do that and keep that going through, and that would be a top 40 hit with somebody else singing that but over the top of it they've got melodic guitar as well and the and the way that the drums match up here and then and then all of this is fleeting and that breakdown at the end i wanted to throw my laptop out the room and, and just start swinging my air swing my hands in the air (laughs) There there, there isn't isn't a bad song on this album. And and I I actually also appreciate that the final song on this was was not like one of those ballads that every band tends to go for. They were like, no, no, we've got to the final song. Let's rip your head off. And I enjoyed that too. There isn't a second that's wasted here. There isn't a filler song. There isn't a moment that they haven't utilised to the fullest of extent. The mixing here is incredible. The songwriting is wonderful, and some of these songs are absolutely huge. This is an early contender of album of the year. If this this album came out three months ago, it might be second. Yeah, like it's it's yeah yeah it's like it's probably probably I probably like it more than that Malevolence album. It's it's amazing. I I listen to it all the way through, and then I then I press play again immediately afterwards. That's when you know you got a gem, yeah. When you, Yeah, I just... Not even for the podcast. I already had notes. I just wanted to hear it again.
0: It, I can't help but be biased with this album because this is my favourite genre. So, Yeah, this is
1: my favourite version of metal, this is, definitely.
0: With a band that do it so brilliantly as Polaris, I can't help but be biased. So you can't listen to this album. You can't listen to this podcast and hope that I'd give you like an objective review I can't because it because I'm already in I'm already sold because it's by far my favorite type of music but what I can tell you is I still know what I'm looking for to get my level of enjoyment out of it and this is this is a, a, a tremendous tremendous album and when, when I've said to you before that Oh, and I've said several times that I wish bands like Berry Tomorrow only had a heavy vocalist. Like in Berry Tomorrow's case, it would be Dan Bates. Because if the balance and the quality between the harsh vocalist and the and the melodic vocalist/slash chorus singer, if the balance isn't perfect, it takes away from the overall quality. And there's loads of examples on Berry Tomorrow songs, just because they're the first band I can think of that that I wish it was just Dan. There's loads of Very Tomorrow" songs where, like, the, the chorus is just—it just feels weak and it takes all the weight away. There's absolutely none of that with Polaris. No, the at all. The, the mixture between the two vocalists. Jamie Halls is the uh, heavy vocalist, and I believe uh, it's Ryan Sue that is the. Um, that's the uh, chorus singer slash melodic vocalist, and he's also the fucking guitarist that did that ridiculous solo on Landmine as well. Their balance is literally, to a fine point, it works unbelievably well. Like, as good as the Wage War balance, when they were doing this kind of stuff before they kind of branched away. And what I love about this album, more than anything... But it's also
1: better than anything Wage War have ever done.
0: Yes, this is better than any album that Wage War have done. Absolutely. I 100% agree. This album is like mercilessly heavy, but the chorus is a massive as well. It's like low is probably one of the best songs that Wage War have done. But like, this is an album full of lows. (laughs) Like the, the, the album is absolutely stacked full of them because they've got it nailed on. The balance between Jamie and Ryan, absolutely perfect. Like, I think my favourite song on the album is the opener, Pray For Rain, because Jamie Hall's, has got this way it's kind of like the Sam Carter technique, not in terms of the sound the same but in terms of like he's not growling the vocals, but he's shouting them, but so they sound really heavy, but it's not like Eddie Hamida screaming do, do you know what i'm do you know what I'm getting yeah up there?
1: of course it the 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 lyrics are legible even when they're being shouted, yeah, and so it, like, it, it feels just like a it feels like it's there just to to compliment the overall song... or just to juxtapose the chorus... and I like that...
0: So like on Masochist... Where, where he's like... I thought I had this all figured out... you think I'd run from all this shit... I fucking screamed about... like... it, it, it fucking the tempo... He's so punchy and he, and then it breaks into that like chorus that um guitar slide as well while Jamie's screaming over the top and this is fucking sick. This album's so good. Um and that is basically the that goes on for like the entirety of the album, but it's just put together in different structures like waves, like you mentioned. I think that could be like their perfect encore opener. Like as they come back on the stage with the down light. Jamie starts like almost whispering the vocals and the chorus kicks in, the lights come on,
1: yeah, the fucking
0: the the mosh pits open up. Like, I just think this album is like the atypical, like, perfect metalcore album. This is how it's done in its absolute best form, and I think that this will really, really capture. The young metalcore audience, like the people that are that still like miss metalcore how it was when at the gates were doing it in the uh, in the mid nineties and killswitch in the mid two thousands, they might not get this. It might not strike a chord as hard as as strongly with them, and I understand that. But for the people like me and you, and like you can do, mate, you can just picture the young kids that are like from the ages of. 14 to our age now they're going to be all over this this is absolutely spot on for them i think this is going to be like a massive massive game changer for polaris because the mortal coil which came which is the record before this was really really solid but it just fell off in towards the end of the album it did try it did start like veering off but the 2 3 years difference between now and then here we are polaris are the next massive metalcore band now I don't want to start thinking too far into the future, but I do tend to think that maybe they've only got one more album where they could do this and still continue to grow. Because mm. I think I think this I think this album is going to make them. They're Australian. I think this album is going to make them like Academy size in Australia. The headlining the Birmingham Academy in the second room in May. Don't worry, we'll be there. <laughs> um, uh, but I think this album will eventually move them into the O2 Institute where I saw Thy Art is Murder and then the next album after that if it's of this same quality will get them like O2 Academy level if it's of this level of quality and the pace continues to move forward but then album 4 I do think that it would have to be a move away if they do want to grow but fuck that we're talking about like 4 or 5 years in advance the here and now this album's fucking amazing like there's so much on this album that I absolutely love. I remember showing you the breakdown for Hypermania. Yes. Uh, a few, a few weeks ago, so, because oh, cool. they released they released as a single. And That pinch harmonic on the breakdown, you were like, "Holy shit, this is really, really fucking great!" And I was like, "Mate, I've got no date. This album when it drops in our inbox is going to be fucking brilliant." Um, the opening, the opening four songs: Pray for Rain, Hypermania, Masochist, Landmine. Put that on any metalcore album over the last five years; it would they would literally fit on. Well, not fit, but they would literally make it onto the track list of any metalcore album. They're that good, absolutely fucking brilliant. I can't say enough about this album. I'm I'm really pleased that you that you picked up on it as highly as I have. It this is just
1: tremendous, isn't it? Honestly, mate, I'm I'm, I'm gobsmacked. This is, I didn't expect this to be remotely good, but this is this is this is an album of the arm um, of the year contender, this is the this is perfect metalcore. There's nothing I, I can't express there's 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 stuff here that they go against all of the cliches of metalcore, but also fit all of the best bits in simultaneously. There's nothing derivative or boring about any of the breakdowns or any of the um guitar work or any of the musical decisions that they've made here. It's just honestly that this is Flawless from start to finish.
0: I've literally just found out that we've been nominated for an award at the Cardiff Music Awards.
1: <laughs> literally oh,
0: oh. literally just saw a notification, so what a way to end the podcast. Um the Cardiff Music Awards I'm not sure. I literally all of been just received like a really vague message about it. So if you just Google Cardiff Music Awards, you'll see that we've been nominated. I'm not even sure who nominated us. Um, whoever did, thank you. Because I don't, I don't think we actually applied to be nominated. But regardless, if you Google Cardiff Music Awards, you'll be able to uh, vote for Noise as best music publication. That would mean the world to us and be amazing. Uh, this is going to be us signing off for episode 29 of the Noise Podcast. Of course. I want to thank you all for listening, and we're going to be back in two weeks' time. I'm going to need to take a look at the release schedule and see what we'll be discussing at that point, but I do know for certain that we will at least have a live review on the Menzingers and Spanish Love Songs, and I am going to be at Counterparts on Thursday, so at least two live reviews of two bands that I absolutely love, so... And obviously you're gonna be with me at the Menzingers as well, and hopefully if we can get you everyone can get you to counterparts that too. But at the very least, me and Sam talk about the Menzingers, me talking about counterparts and some other album reviews for you. Thank you for listening to this episode. We love you very much, and we'll be back in two weeks. Bye.